but the really important ones are over here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life. Uh, like when she first scored a goal. Oh, that was so amazing. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 172 and our movie this week is 2015's Inside Out. Joining me to talk about it because she had not seen it before, Lauren from the Beard Out Podcast. Lauren, how are you tonight? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. So you had never seen Inside Out, but you're are you a Pixar fan in general? Yes, I am, which is why I was like, why haven't I seen this? This is 100% up my alley. I just hadn't I just hadn't seen it. It's I have this weird thing with Pixar. I love Pixar movies. I see almost all of them, but I rarely since like Wally have I gone to the theater to see them to see them. I seem to like wait a couple of years and I'm like, oh, that's right. I should watch that one. And then I end up doing it. And them all being on Disney Plus now probably doesn't help that much. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, well, let's just start off with um, you hadn't seen it before, but how familiar were you with kind of the idea of it or the concept behind it? Oh, see, that's the thing. I was really familiar with the idea and the concept behind it, which is why it seemed really wrong that I hadn't seen it <laughs> So I was okay. like, you know, I really do need to watch this, which is why I, I'm glad I have the opportunity to talk about it because this is one of those movies that, again, I probably won't be able to shut up about now that I actually have seen it because it was like, no, this is this is important in its way. Yeah, and it Pixar and Disney are so good at that, right? They, they Pixar especially, for some reason, they just they find this thing about. Uh, a subject and then they can break it down in a way and it's and you don't even realize until you're part way through it exactly what you're seeing and then it hits you and so I'm going to assume then that you liked the movie I did I really did I mean it was it was as I was watching it was like oh my god yes why hadn't I seen this and I, uh, it, I'm sure we'll get into this as we're talking about it but like this it's got layers and that that's what kind of got me I remember saying out loud oh my god there's layers to this it's amazing yeah yeah so I always like to start with kind of cast because that's the first thing you really notice in a movie um, and once again Pixar does what they do great which is cast voice actors or or somebody who maybe hasn't done a lot of voice acting but they get a great performance out of them I've yet to see or hear I guess a poor voice acting performance in a Pixar movie that I can think of um, mm -hmm. and this one had one of my favorite castings of all time which I'm going to get to in a minute but uh, starting with Amy Poehler as Joy she's just she's a joy she, she's so much she, the character so effervescent and I love the design which we're going to get into but I thought Amy Poehler really captured kind of that like that feeling of of joy almost to the point of being well past the point of being too much joy yeah yeah and I feel like Amy Poehler was definitely the perfect casting for that because joy uh, I this is kind of like a like a retroactive connection that I'm I'm making here mm -hmm. but like 
Leslie Nope is pure joy because she's like, no, we can do this though. But like, no, but we can like, yep. yay. And I was like, nope, that just makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for her to be this character, who's just this, this almost to a point of like toxic joy, I would almost, I mean, you it kind of where it goes and, and that's sort of the message behind the movie we'll dive into, you know, a lot more, but like, what a perfect casting for her. And then around her, the other emotions that they ended up going with, because I did read where they had initially a bunch more emotions that were going to be a part of it. And they sort of whittled it down. And five is kind of the right number. I feel like, mm -hmm. because even with five, a couple of them are just sort of there and yeah. they're not like, it's mainly joy and sadness that we're dealing with. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, with a, with a sprinkling of anger. Yeah. Uh, and sadness was uh, Phyllis Smith, who, if you've ever watched The Office, you know is, is Phyllis yeah. in The Office. And another one, she just like perfectly fit the character that they were playing with uh, with sadness. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, as you know, I've obviously watched The Office, right? And like that character, Phyllis, like you don't. She doesn't read as a sad character, but you get her kind of being a like a sad sack, like in mm -hmm. the way like she's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like her, just the intonation in her voice, I'm like, yeah, I guess she's like, but well, okay, you know, all right. And I'm like, no, that's that's completely perfect. Yeah. Like that was I, I didn't I, I didn't look into too much of this ahead of time before I watched it, and I'm sitting there and I was like. Is that Phyllis? That's Phyllis. <laughs> That's Phyllis. And sure enough. <laughs> so Mindy Kaling is discussed. And she is, of the five emotions, she's the one that kind of has the least to do, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. But it was it was spot on casting. Because I think just the way, the way she portrayed it, like, I, I love Mindy Kaling anyway. And so yeah. she was great to have there sort of, you know, that, that. And green is also the perfect color for disgust. I, I like well, that too. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely perfect. And and I'm sure we'll get into this as we talk about it a little bit more. But uh, you know, disgust may not have had too much to do, but disgust absolutely has to be there, uh, simply due to the fact that you know I, I liked that it showed her going from like baby to you know toddler to kid to you know teenager. Yep. And disgust means different things at those different stages. And I, I thought they showed that really well. Yeah. And Mindy Kaling did a great job doing like, oh no, broccoli to like, ew. And it was, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And apparently early on the character of disgust was going to be a male type uh, um, character. And they changed that after Mindy Kaling uh, got cast. So mm. perfect. And, and honestly, I think it works better that way too. Because it gives that balance of because anger and fear are very strong emotions and very kind of upfront and visceral emotions. So to have kind of joy, sadness, and disgust be female portrayed in this, I feel like balanced that out really well. So I kind of I like that. Plus, as you said, the way that they portrayed disgust morphing as she got older fit a lot better. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, maybe I'm jumping the gun on no, no, this, go for it. you know, but uh, I liked when they went into the parents' brains and like, okay, because you're talking about the genders of Riley's emotions and how she's got like these three, you know, that are female and then these two mm -hmm. that are male. When they get into the mom's head, they're all female. And then the guy's head, the, the dad's head, they're all male. So like what, 
That's interesting yeah. that Riley's emotions have this gender disparity to them. It, it is. And I think so. According to something that I read, Pete Doctor basically said, uh, who's the director or the co-director, was like, it's probably not as accurate as we should have been with it to have the dads all be male and the moms all be female. But it was the the shorthand and it was the easier way to kind of make sure you know where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also kind of thought as I was thinking about it, it sort of made sense that like as these people got older and they identified more and more with those sides of themselves that their their emotional things sort of morphed that way like because the i think it was joy maybe joy and sadness in the dad's brain were basically the same model just with the big mustache mm-hmm. and so it sort of is one of those things where it just kind of morphed to fit the person and with Riley being young and still like figuring everything out, it makes sense to have that balance going on. So that's how I that's how I read it anyway. Yeah, I see that. I, I mean, that makes sense. I just I just thought it was interesting. And we, you know, as we get into it, we can. I, I've got a lot to say about the parent brains. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Bill Hader was fear, and I mean, mm-hmm. okay, number one, Bill Hader, great all the time, but perfect for fear. He just had like the the right energy for it, and I loved, I loved him getting a uh, when he had to take the shift uh, for um, dreams. And even though it's mm-hmm. fear, he's seen those dreams so many times that even that didn't affect him, like the teeth falling out or standing there without pants on. He's like, yeah, okay, we've seen this all before. And then when it gets weird, it starts to freak him out again. Um, but I just I loved Bill Hader in this. Yeah, I mean, he can do no wrong in my book anyway. I haven't, I haven't, I'm yet to see him do any wrong. Uh, yeah, so like I said, I hadn't looked into who was in this before I watched it. And it took me a hot minute to figure out that it was Bill Hader because I, when I watch, you know, um, an animated movie, I tend to let myself get sucked in and like not try to figure out who oh, sure. it is, you know, because. Mm-hmm. I, I far too often you get stuck in the, oh my god who's that voice who's that voice who's that voice and then you kind of miss like you, miss you know yeah. I you miss things and so I like to watch animated movies like I'm a kid watching them I tend to try to watch like any movie like I'm a kid watching it I'm just like okay what's happening yep. like not trying to do too much with it which is why I was again shocked that I to myself that I hadn't seen this yet because <laughs> this is something that I would just kind of sit and watch but yeah, so I was about halfway through the movie before I realized it was Bill Hader. And I was like, oh, no, that makes perfect sense now. Because his voice, he can change it to do so many different things that yep. I don't have like a singular Bill, H- Bill Hader, you know, Dr. Evil Code's voice in yeah. my head. So it took me a minute. Yeah. And, and what I liked about him is him and Amy Poehler have a very good chemistry from their years on Saturday Night Live together. And so... To have joy and fear uh, play off of each other really well. That was another one where early on it was going to be those two that got lost and went through the adventure, and they eventually changed it to sadness, and which I think works better, as as we'll get yeah. into. Um, and but it would have been interesting to see those two, uh, especially those two actors doing the movie, how that would have played out because it would have been a very different movie with joy and fear. For sure. Um, but yeah, Bill Hader, he, I'm, I'm with you. He can do no wrong. I loved him in it chapter two. Um, like there's something about him in that movie with everything else around it. He was just like, he was a perfect amount of levity to have Mm -hmm. in those parts. Um, and so like, I just, I'll watch anything that he's in. 
and yeah and for him to be in this as fear and he's just he's so neurotic and i love when he comes in with like his big stack of here's all the things that could possibly go wrong on day one and starting <laughs> with this and this and the third thing he names and that's the first thing the teacher says and just the reaction <laughs> it's just perfect yeah uh, i know it's so great and my, f this is one of the top two castings of any role in any film I've ever seen is Lewis Black as Anger. Because I have been a Lewis Black fan for over 20 years. Uh, I first heard him when I was at college at Michigan State University. A friend of mine is like, you got to listen to this guy. Plays the White Album for me. And it, it blew me away. Like it was, for me, it was, I was going to listen to Lewis Black and George Carlin. Those were my comedians to listen to. And for him to play anger i'm like you couldn't have you, there's no way you could pick a better person to play the the character of anger than lewis black uh, absolutely you know that's really funny that you mentioned lewis black in college because like I, I i was coming here to say like lewis black came and played my university when i was in college and i went oh um. <laughs> such a good show too i went about uh <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago i think and saw him okay yeah, my God, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I, it was all close to 20 years ago I went and saw Louis Black. And I was like, what is happening? No, it was, I saw him in 2015. I'm sorry. That's when I saw him. Okay. Uh, again, at Michigan State University. And it was like the first uh, live stand-up comedian I'd seen in years. And I'm like, no, uh, Louis Black in an election year, I'm going. So it was either oh, 15 yeah, or yeah, 16. You, yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm missing that. Um but he like him as anger because of the the type of stand up that he does. I'm like this is perfect. And then they incorporated him into the character and his stand up style into that character where he's wearing the red, you know, the red tie and the white shirt, and he's always carrying a newspaper around. And I love that mm -hmm. anger's newspaper headlines matched what was going on. Um, yeah, yes, it was so yeah. good and like so cool. Little things too, like he every time he would interact with the console. Anger would always like slam his fists into the console and then do something on it. He couldn't just hit the buttons. He had to hit the thing first and then do his buttons. Um, it was it was great. The by the way, the the other uh, top two casting of all time for me is George Carlin as Cardinal Glick in Dogma, because okay, that's that just totally fair. That's just Chef's kiss. Like it's just perfect. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Lewis Black as Anger. I mean, he's my favorite character in this just because it's Lewis Black and they they let him really have a lot of fun with it. Um, and, you know, I, I actually take that back. Second favorite character. But that's because Bing Bong, played by Richard Kind. Oh, Ugh. Bing Bong. Oh, my God. I, oh, my God. Bing Bong <laughs> stole my heart. Mm -hmm. Okay? Bing Bong stole every piece of my heart. And I am sitting here, like, seriously, as a child, I, I love that they hit on the the imaginary friend thing um, because, you know, I, I do my podcast with my brother and we, <laughs> he's going to hate me for this. <laughs> we, we, we shared an imaginary friend and it was just a regular guy named Bob. <laughs> That's all it was. It was nothing magical or mystical or anything like unusual about it. It was just a guy named Bob. I was like, Oh, there's Bob. You know, and that, that's and so I'm watching this. I was like, man, this kid had a lot more imagination than I did. Oh, that's that amazing! Because that is a badass imaginary friend. I just had this dude named Bob. 
Just some schmo <laughs> named Bob. And... <laughs> <laughs> I had yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even your own imaginary friend. You were sharing it with your brother. <laughs> I don't know if his Bob looks the same as my Bob, but they were the same Bob. It oh. But also, like, Bing Bong, like, the, the imaginary friend is so much fun, and they, they did a great job of making this weird, like, yeah, he's part elephant and got a cat tail and he's made mostly out of cotton candy and like just craziness. And like, I love that he, he cries uh, candy. Yeah. And in the middle of crying the candy, he's like, try the caramel. They're, they're wonderful. Like, and, <laughs> and Richard Kind is so good. Like mm-hmm. his voice is perfect for it. But, and this is, I blame Pete Doctor for this uh, more than anything is I was bawling when... Uh, the scene with with them using the rocket to get out of the memory. Uh huh. I I just I couldn't hold it together. Uh, my I have a note to myself, really trying not to cry. Uh, followed by yeah, I'm crying now. <laughs> they yeah. just like that emotional moment, and they that moment is so well executed because they don't dwell on it either. Right. Yet they set it up it, so it, well. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, it's just like, uh, because it's all about moving forward, mm-hmm. you know, and they couldn't dwell on it. I think dwelling on it w- would have been, a, there's no more eloquent way for me to say this, dwelling on it would have been a bad idea because like they just needed to move it forward. And I think once Joy got out, um, yeah, like you're you're upset about Bing Bong, but it's like, okay, but. We're moving forward. She will eventually remember Bing Bong at some point Mm -hmm. later, you know, because, I mean, I forgot about Bob for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the thing with it is, like, I and and it's not something that I noticed the first time I saw the movie, but they sort of, they foreshadow that Bing Bong will will come to this conclusion when he looks at a memory and sees Riley and it's like, oh, she's gotten so big now, she won't fit in the rocket anymore. And that's him. Mm. Then, and then you think about that later on. He realizes that him being in the rocket with joy is weighing it down. And so, like, the memory, holding on to that memory of Bing Bong is weighing her down too much to be able to help Riley. Mm-hmm. And he sacrifices himself and does it in the most selfless way and without joy ever knowing. So she can't try to stop him. It's just, oh. Yep, yeah, because joy would have. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's such a gut punch of a moment because you see it coming the second, especially if you, when you watch it again, you're, you're going to, you're going to see all the tells and all the foreshadowing. Um, but he, he gives that one, he's like, I have a good feeling about this try. And even this time around, I'm just like, oh, no, no. Well, here come the tears because <laughs> I can't help mm-hmm. it. Uh, but Bing Bong, you know, he, he, and he's such a fun character too. And I love that he's got like, he's stashing all the memories in that bag and then when he's like, oh, you need you need this? And he just dumps them all out. Yeah. And there's like a boot and a sink and just whatever's coming out of that thing. Um, and he's, he's, always holding, he's always holding his hat, uh, his little bowler hat on his head with his trunk. Um, mm. Just oh, so good. Bing Bong was great. And Richard Kind is one of those. He shows up in a lot of Pixar. I think he's been in like half a dozen of them or something. Okay. Um, Going so all the no way back John, to... He's no John Ratzenberger, but he's right. close. Yeah. He's not in all of them, but he goes back as far as, I think, uh, Bugs Life. I remember him being okay. in that one. Um, and he's just one of those actors that I feel like he often gets put into comedic roles, and I think it's 
the tone of voice that he has just fits that. It's hard to put him into a serious role because there's not enough people that would take him seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I like full disclosure for me. I can't remember the character's name, but he's like the annoying uh, friend from Mad About You for me mm-hmm. always. Like everything he does. Like, I know it's Richard Kind. I know he does so many other things. And I was like, oh, Mad About You. That's where my, like, my brain goes immediately. Yeah. I go to uh, he, he had a small character in the Stargate movie uh, as one of the translators. And he was the one that translated something wrong. And I just, for whatever reason, that's, I picture him like holding a book, looking at a blackboard, like, what, what do you, why, why are you changing the thing that I worked so hard on? Um, mm-hmm. But he's, he's great. And, and the character of Bing Bong was just like perfectly placed in the movie the right amount of thing. Cause he's, he, he and Joy work so well together because they're both just, uh, just endlessly positive. And and it also sets up and and allows us to get the first turn in the story with sadness mm-hmm. and joy seeing sadness as a positive influence for the first time. Yeah, I oh my god, you're right. Like uh, that whole thing with with joy seeing sadness as a good thing was like a you know kind of thing for me. It's like it's like you know that you know that like sometimes when you're sad. You you gotta wallow in it for a little bit because that's how you get to the other side of it. Yep. But sadness isn't isn't a bad emotion to have. Like if God, if you're happy all the time, then you know again, uh, there's something toxic about that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like that it this helped Joy see the balance that you know sad isn't always bad. Yeah, and she and Joy really goes through like all five of the emotions towards sadness during the movie mm-hmm. um you know she goes from being uh like disgusted and angry by uh by sadness um fearful of it a little bit but then feeling that sadness and kind of coming to that realization and and eventually embracing and becoming joyous of it and it's great because joy is the first emotion that the baby feels in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. But the next one is sadness, and that kind of sets us up for what we're going to get throughout the movie, which is that balance of joy and sadness. Because a baby, you know, a joyful baby doesn't cry, but a baby needs to cry in order to communicate. And that sadness lets the baby communicate and survive. Yep. And yeah, I just I, I love that. And I just love the way they portrayed this balance. And it's such a wonderful story. And it's like a perfect coming of age type thing. Because there is no external antagonist going on. It's all internal. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, okay, like that was super important for like, you know, Disney and Pixar to to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really like the direction that they're going with a lot of the things that they're putting out now. uh, Because it's... uh, it's kind of, you know, showing that, you know, young people are more complex and they've been given credit for for a long time, you know, because you've got Inside Out, you've got Red, which mm-hmm. sidebar to all of this. I'm a little bummed out that Lightyear got a theatrical release, but Red didn't. Um, but that's that's a that's a thing for a whole other thing. <laughs> but anyhow, um, you know, I. I like what they're doing, basically saying like, no, like you may, you know, be like a teen or a tween or like whatever it is that you are or a kid even. 
But like there are complex things and like it's okay to talk about them. It's okay to explore them. And here's a metaphor for that, you know. Um, I mean, obviously all that's happening in the reverse order. The kids watching this like, oh, like I'm feeling all of this stuff and this is okay. Like this, finding those connections. Because I mean, honestly, like, yeah, you know, like Toy Story was great and stuff. um, But I, I I like that they're getting deeper with the emotional things and things that are kind of more relatable relatable on like a personal um, level for kids. And I, I think that's really important. I'm glad they're doing it. I, I agree completely because I do think like Toy Story and A Bug's Life and the early, especially the early Pixar stuff, they were great stories. Um, and what we're seeing is we're seeing the storytelling and the storytellers at Pixar evolve and mature. And be mm-hmm. able to get more complex. And now we're going to... Because I think this was the first Pixar movie that didn't have any kind of an external antagonist. There was no... Because there is no like bully at school or problem with her parents or anything like that. It's her dealing with her emotions of this change. And and I loved that. And like it's it becomes very personal. And none of the emotions are really wrong. Right. You you find yourself reaching for that external antagonist, too, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I, I mean, when I'm watching, it was like, oh, it's going to be the dad. The dad's going to be a jerk, isn't he? It's like, oh, maybe it's the mom. But like, no, it's not like they're and then when you get into their heads, you see they're dealing with their own stuff internally yep. and doing the best that they can outwardly with it. And it's just so great. I mean, I, I like to imagine now that I have like these little tiny people in my brain trying to co-pilot what's happening. Oh, sure. I feel it's almost a good, I think it's a really good coping mechanism for kids too, you know, to kind of think about like, like just being like, no, okay. You know, oh, you know, sadness is, is piloting the ship today, but like the, all the other ones are still there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the best part. It was it was always a balance, like joy. So for Riley, joy was was the main force, and that makes sense. Kids tend to be mostly positive, uh, especially if they've had a good home life and like things are going well. And so, joy is piloting the ship, but the rest of them are are there to influence. And joy, as when when Riley is young, is always trying to steer everything to be happy. Happy memories, happy this, happy that. If you notice early on, it's all the memory balls are yellow. And then we start mm-hmm. to see different colors slowly working their way in. And then if you look at like when they go inside the mom's brain, it's the same five emotions, but sadness is steering the ship. Yep. Sort of like kind of, you know, feelings for other people and empathy. Um, and that tells you a lot about the mom, who, by the way, is voiced by Diane Lane. And I thought uh, did a fantastic job as well. Yeah. Um, but so you sort of see how like that, that right there gives you a shorthand and an insight into that character and what her life has been like, that, that that's where she goes is sort of this feeling for other people. And then you got the dad who's piloted by anger, anger. Yeah. But it's like, it's like anger in the form of like protectiveness and like being, you know, the, the protector, the, the big strong dad. Right. Um, he's stressed out like that's anger yeah. in the form of just being stressed yes. because like he's trying to he's trying to do entirely too much and you know i heard the, the the you know when they're taking that road trip out to their to the new house and stuff you can see both the mom and the dad trying to 
like be positive about this the whole time to keep that joy going mm-hmm. in Riley. But then like kind of knowing who's piloting the ship in each of their brains is like, man, that must have like in the mom's brain, joy had to have been poking sadness like, come on, come on, come on, come on. You uh-huh. got you know and it's just like, oh man. And it, and it kind of tells you that like sometimes it is really hard to put that happy face on. Um and oh, yeah. the parents did it until they couldn't. Yeah, and you know, the other thing too was like the the family dynamic was such a healthy one of like they all got along and it, and what I liked was with the mom having sort of uh sadness at the forefront or I I I think of it more like empathy really at that point because mm-hmm. it's sort of joy is is this personal uh internal like inside to the outside whereas sadness really looks at what other people are thinking because if you notice when um when all five of the emotions inside Riley are talking about like what, uh, what they're thinking about sadness goes to all our friends are back home. Like the first thing that Mm -hmm. sadness goes to is someone else. So it's sort of that outside in thing. And like the, uh, mom is the first one to notice that something's off with Riley in part because dad is so busy with work. Mm -hmm. Um, and whatever his nameless company is, I think they, they named the company Brang or something silly like that. (laughs) Like some just silly made up word. Um, but you know, so, so that kind of made sense and just, I just loved all that, but I liked how even after they have the, the fight at the dinner table and who, like, if you've ever known anybody between the ages of 10 and 12, that exact thing has, has gone down at a dinner table. Um, and, and the dad does what he thinks he has to do, but then he's willing to go up and talk to her afterwards and he's still you know there's still like a healthy relationship between them even if she's still angry and obviously her joy and sadness are missing now and her personality is falling apart internally Mm -hmm. and there's like it's it's so much going on at that time and the dad's just like you know what you need a little time that's okay I, I won't push and I liked that I liked that they didn't make that a didn't become an adversarial relationship Yes, and I, I I was expecting it to be, to be honest with you. Like, when I was watching it, like, I was fully expecting, like, when the dad went up, I was expecting that to not go anywhere near mm-hmm. the way that it went. Um, and I, I agree with you completely. I like that it stayed inside with Riley because she had too much going on inside to deal with anything more from the outside with it, you know? And I liked that there wasn't, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I liked that there wasn't, like, a, like a real bully bully or anything like that. It was just normal stuff that goes wrong for kids. Like she didn't do great at the, at the tryout. Like the, you know, yeah. the first day of school didn't go super well. Like there was none of that, um, you know, stereotypical. I, 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 I just watched, you know, stranger things. So like, there was none of that, like, you know, like real, like over the top bully kind of stuff happening. Um, and I think that's great because, uh, a lot of the real like over the top bully sort of stuff that you see in movies is not like kind of the way that it goes down in real life anyway. It's a lot more nuanced. Yeah. Um, most of the time. Uh, so I like that they handled it, it with a really, you know, kind of soft hand with anything that might've been going on outside. It wasn't like beating you over the head with the fact that like, Oh no, she's being bullied or this or that or, or anything. It's like, it, like a little stuff went wrong, you know, the kids blow it up. Yeah, no, they definitely they didn't have the uh, the Stephen King bullies as I like to call them, where because he writes very uh, very one note bullies, and uh, 
Um, no, in fact, the first day of school for her, while it doesn't go great, it's not nearly as bad necessarily as she thinks it is. Because if you, if you kind of watch it again, you notice the teacher has her stand up. She starts to talk and she starts to have her little bit of a mini crisis. None of the kids in the class react poorly. None of them poke fun at her or laugh or anything like that. And the teacher is even like, look, I understand it's hard to talk about it sometimes. Um, and for, for Riley, it's just devastating and it's awful. And, you know, of course it's going to be the worst thing ever, but I liked that it was played very, um, very straightforward and didn't, didn't go over the top cartoony with it Mm -hmm. Um, because it just shows the internal, how the internal struggle is more often much worse than what actually happens. So you know, it doesn't, you might, you might remember it feeling the way that say Stranger Things portrays it, but that might not be how it happened. And so I liked that yep. that was how they showed it in this. Same thing oh, with the hockey. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that didn't go, you know, it could have been a whole heck of a lot worse, you know? And, and to have it, so the way, I love the internal structure of the mind and the way they have the headquarters and the five you know, major emotions are there and all the, the memories are being made during the day. And then they take those memories and they shove them off to long-term storage at night when she goes to sleep. But those mm-hmm. core memories are what create the personality islands. And those sit mm-hmm. in between the headquarters and the long-term memory are where the personality lies underneath which is all uh, where where all the memories go to die. Yeah. And it's it's such an interesting visual for everything. And then to show like those core memories got taken away and that personality started to break down, but it didn't just immediately evaporate. It took time and then we're watching it all sort of fall apart. And like, you know, she doesn't like, you don't forget how to play a sport like hockey that you've been playing mm-hmm. for all of your life, but but to have these all this other stuff going on, you're not going to be as sharp with it. And I liked the way that they did that, where she is out on the ice. She, it's not like she just suddenly forgot how to skate. But right, right. She wasn't She's not a sharp. giraffe out there, like, yeah, yeah, right. And so I really enjoyed that. I loved, I loved all the stuff they did with the, the internal world, um, the long-term storage and how it's these winding paths, and they've got, like, memories that fade over time. And so there's something... There's Paula Poundstone and uh, and the other guy that come through and remove the old memories. I recognized her yeah. voice right away because I listened to a lot of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And she's on <laughs> okay, there all yeah, the time. Yeah. I was like, I'd forgotten she was in this. I'm like, that's Paula Poundstone. That, it has to be. So I'm like looking it up as I'm watching it this time. Like, that is her. Okay. Yeah. I love the bit with the, um, I don't remember what it's for, but the jingle that just shows oh, up every yeah. once in a that's while. That's so good. That is so perfect where it's the two of them and they're like, yeah, we just like to throw this one up to headquarters every once in a while. Just just for fun, because we like it just for fun. Yeah, that's so real. I mean, we all have that. I have a jingle for a law firm that used to play all the time, uh, like when I was a kid and I used to sing it when I was a kid. And like every once in a while, it'll just pop into my head again. I could do it right. Working for the people, Cephalo. And I'm like, nope. I don't. I don't. I have no need for Cephalo and Associates now. Right. But I didn't. I didn't then either. But gosh darn, I know the. I know the jingle. It's so. It's so good. And that was such a great running gag because they used it at least two more times with anger, when he would try to pull up a memory and that would just start playing. Like ah, uh, uh-huh. that, that felt so real. And yeah. And like the train of thought 
and how when she goes to sleep, the train of thought stops. But like there's that train of thought was really cool because it's this train and the tracks are being laid in front of the train as it moves forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching that. And the first time I saw it, I'm thinking at any point, this things are going to get derailed. Like it just has to because of the way that they're set. Like, I just love that, that visual. I loved imagination land um, and all the oh, stuff in too. there, the, the house of cards. If you look at the at the cards for the House of Cards, the king is dad, the queen is mom, and the jack is Riley, but instead of a J on it, it has an R. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Oh, I mean, that whole bit was neat. And the part um, when they go through the, oh, my gosh, the place that they're not supposed to go through, and then they oh. go from, like, 3D to 1D to 2D. They're, like... The abstract they're, thought. They're, they're abstract thought, yeah. Uh, that was so fun. <laughs> like, like, and it was no, that, that, that though. And and it's great because again, you're thinking like, okay, there's these you know four or five uh, people kind of steering the ship, but there's all these other workers inside your brain doing stuff. And so you got the the people that are coming up with the stuff for abstract thought. And it's like, yeah, we're working on this today. Oh, that's weird. Well, you know what? I'm just going to run it and burn out whatever's in there. Like, uh-huh. and so you just and. How many times have you been sitting around and all of a sudden you just get lost in some kind of abstract, like deconstruction of something? Yeah, um, all the time, all the time. It's definitely. nice to know that that's that's a part of my brain, and it's yeah. nice to put a visual to it. You know? It really, really is. <laughs> uh, I loved like you know Bing Bong taking them through Imagination Land and just like loving what's going on. Meanwhile, like he is experiencing and seeing Imagination Land slowly breaking apart because this child is getting older and your imagination just gets stifled sometimes. And so you're seeing the parts of it where you can't believe like that castle's gone or this thing's gone. And you're watching, literally watching stuff get like piled up as, as a junk pile and thrown off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Just it's what, yeah, it's nuts. And I, I, like, it's really interesting. Like as you get older to like think about, that. I like to think though, like just, Watching this now, I'm, I kind of take it as a metaphor for a lot of things. And, you know, I don't have kids, but I've got, you know, my brother has a kid and I've got friends with kids. And I like to talk to kids at the level of kids. And mm-hmm. if a kid wants to play imagination with me, like you best believe I'm getting down on the floor, I'm doing whatever, and I'm doing the whole thing. And having watched then, you know, Inside Out, I was like, I think I'm rebuilding imagination land because anytime I encounter and that's tough for a parent to do because they're busy in like caretaker mode, but like, they're not my kids. All I have to do is like play with the, I babysat like, like a week and a half ago, this like two year old. And he was just like, Hey, and I'm like, okay, what are we doing? You know? (laughs) And, um, I like to think that, you know, I'm, I'm giving myself the opportunity to rebuild my own imagination land. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe whatever, you know, my, you know, Bob in my head, he's not bing bong. He's Bob for me, but maybe Bob is in there somewhere being like, Oh man, the castle's coming back. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, here you go, Bob. Hell yeah. Um, one of the things they didn't do and obviously a movie like this, this took, I want to say it was five years to make. So like Mm -hmm. there was a lot between conception and the final product, that gets changed and, you know, uh, cut and whatnot. One of the things they cut from the mind stuff that I thought was really brilliant was the Department of Faces and Names. Oh. Because they had this Department of Faces and Names, and what they were going to do was the department was uh, in charge. They had a pair of people that Riley would meet, and um, the two of them don't like each other. 
<laughs> so that was going to be their reasoning behind why sometimes you can't put a face to a name was that the faces and names department people just hated each other and wouldn't talk to each other. I'm like, that's oh, that's, that's such a good joke and such a good bit that they, that I understand, like I can see where they cut it because there's no real like moment for that to work, but it, mm-hmm. that's such a cool idea. Um, and I love, yeah, uh, I love that, stuff like that. That is a good idea. Oh man, because yeah, that's so true and so real. I was like, man, I know that person. <laughs> I I teach college, right? And man, it takes me a good, you know, third to a halfway through the semester to like really feel comfortable putting faces to names, you know, because I get you know students turning stuff in. I was like, oh yeah, okay, you know, I know Bill. And then like I'm sitting there in class, and like somebody will come up to me like, you know, can you look up my grade? And, then, and I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> I have uh. Like, who it's, are you? I know I know your kid with baseball cap in the corner, but like are you who are you though? It can be tricky. I I had a job in my younger days where I was a delivery driver. Um like uh, it wasn't UPS, it was DHL, but same idea. And mm-hmm. there would be people that they would know me and they would know my name and it took me longer to learn theirs because they had to realize they see me once a day or once every 3 days. I see like 85 people a day. Yep. And that that is, and it's a rotating list, and like, it takes me a while to to associate those names and faces. So, it, it, people that can do that like immediately. I had, okay, about five years ago, I was working in a retail job, and my teacher from kindergarten came into the store. And now I am six foot four. I have this beard. She looked at me, kind of cocked her head to the side, and then knew who I was right away. I hadn't seen this woman in 30 years. She hadn't, I hadn't like the last time she would have seen me would have been maybe fifth grade, sixth grade. So it had been forever and she knew who I was right away and remembered my sister. And I'm like, I don't know how you do that. It's it's, it's some sort of superpower. Um, Some people are just good at it. Her names and faces department got along really well. Apparently. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, okay. The design of the emotions themselves was very different from what we're used to seeing of like characters, because at first I thought they just looked like fuzzy. And then as you look and you, you realize more, it's, it's not really a fuzz so much as they're not like a solid thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's more of like this collection and the way Pete doctor, um, described it was a collection of energy. And so there's like joy has joy literally emanates light. She's the only one without a shadow because she's always giving off this bright yellow light. Yeah. And it's those little bits of energy that are kind of floating off of her too. So she's almost like sparkling. I love that about all. And because all the emotions had that all of the, um, you know, they all had that, that collection of energy feel. And it's such a cool looking, I guess originally they were only going to do it with joy and like, the, to in order to do that for one character but not the rest of them was just like it was not going to happen so they, uh, they had to just do it for everybody but I loved again Pixar does this great job of of creating these characters and these, these memorable looking characters whether it's Wally whether it's Sully from Monsters Incorporated and the way they did his hair and his fur uh, Merida's hair and Brave and like just that shock of of just stark red hair like I loved all that but there's something about the look of these emotions that just like 
it kept my attention all the time. Yeah, I can see that. And I like, you know, the, the, the fact that like, they're not solid, right. That they are, you know, energies. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that just kind of goes like, they're not solid, which means that they, they can change. Yeah. And, you know, they, they can morph into different things because the way we experience different emotions, like we said before with disgust is going to change as you, as you grow and as you experience more things, you know? So I think, I think just them not being solid and being these, you know, kind of fuzzy, like, you know, emissions of energy gives them the room to adjust with time and different experiences and like, you know, perform differently in different situations as they're needed. Yeah. Yeah. And then to have them like fear is sort of this, like almost like an antenna, like kind of long curly looking thing. Um, mm -hmm. sadness is like a teardrop shape. Um, and, uh, and joy. I loved her turtleneck. Oh, her, her turtleneck, turtleneck was great. <laughs> it makes so much sense. It really did. And like to have joy just be in this light summer dress and just emanating energy all the time and brightness and light. And then you've got, uh, fear there in a bow tie and he's all, he's just nervous and like, ah, oh, it was so good. I just and mm -hmm. and and then to have the translations of those in the adults, and then the the credit sequence was like the cream of the creme de la creme of that, going into all the so different great. lines. Oh, the dog! I have two big dogs, and like the dog and cat ones, like just totally got me because like I, I am such a dog person. I was like the dog one just felt so so true yeah. like that yes it like, was that's just what runs their brains yep it's just the five five of them looked almost identical and they just all wanted food yep like, that's i mean you can maybe see my dog right behind me here and that's bella and that's oh her. i do that would be her oh i have a bella too oh and then the yeah, cat my, my shepherd yeah oh and the, the cat the cat yeah. was so perfect <laughs> because nobody's running the controls but then it's like was it fear that came walking across the control panel and just start hitting random yeah. buttons so the cat just freaks out. And like, uh -huh. if there was any explanation as to why cats do that, that's perfect. Yep. Yep. It's random. It's I also, random. I, I loved when she runs, she bumps into the boy and he turns around and then it just zooms in and it's chaos and just girl, 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 like, yep, girl. I've been that boy. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, that's so too good. Funny. I just uh, this and and you said it earlier on. This is an important movie. This I think is, so. It, kids need to see this. This is the kind of thing. So I've talked about it before with other kids, ba like kids directed movies um, before, uh, where there's certain movies that are important. I think for kids to see for varying reasons. This wasn't, you know, the Dark Crystal, for instance. When I covered that one, one of the things that I learned, and I've learned about Jim. Um, Henson over the years was Jim Henson had this feeling that like, you know, kids should be a little bit scared every once in a while. It's not a bad thing yeah. to have something scary in a movie, whether it's Labyrinth, um, Dark Crystal, whether it's Don Bluth. I mean, I grew up with things like uh, An American Tale and um, The Secret of Nim and like Don Bluth would scare the hell out of kids, but they were great kids movies at the same time because they, mm -hmm. him and Henson, they knew that that perfect line to get to. And like this falls into that category where it's something that kids need to experience and the fact that you can relate to it so well. I mean, we're talking about all the different things we related to as adults, kids even more so. I, I love that. So I definitely, but I think it's important for anybody to see. 
Yeah, first, absolutely. And I mean, that's why, that's kind of why I wanted to, I I was ashamed of myself for like having not seen it. And so I was like, okay, no, I absolutely have to watch this and I need to talk about it. And I, I, cause I, having seen, I knew it was going to be an important movie. You know what I mean? Just kind of knowing the concept and, and mm-hmm. all that around it. I was like, this movie is important. And seeing it just cemented that for me. Like, no, this, this really truly is important. And I, I mean, it, it, it helped me. And I feel like, Anybody over the age of like five needs to just watch this and just, you know, get a hold of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a couple of the things I, I wanted to mention was uh, Bing Bong was not in any of the promotional material for this. And I remember I remember seeing trailers and ads for the movie ahead of time. That's how I knew Louis Black was going to be in it. And I was like, all right, I, I'm sold on that alone. Like Louis Black as anger good but they they specifically kept bing bong out of any of the promotional materials before the movie came out which is kind of a smart move and pete doctor said part of the reason for that was he hated trailers that gave everything away and he wanted there to be Uh. something held back that could still kind of be a surprise for people when they when they saw the movie for the first time so i thought that was great um and i also because I already mentioned that I was crying during the scene. Apparently, so was Richard Kind doing the voice work for the oh. scene. Where uh, I did, like, uh, uh, take her to the moon for me, okay? It is it's just and and because uh, Pete Doctor had said that, and Kind later was like, yeah, I was I was crying doing that one. Uh, it's just it's such an emotional moment, and that's the turning point. That's the turning point in the movie, because up until then, we've had joy really trying to steer the ship in her direction only and and putting up with the other four but like always always pushing everything back towards happiness and joy and the the first turning point as we mentioned is her seeing sadness consoling bing bong about the loss of his rocket Mm -hmm. and that's that first time she realizes because that's the only way he can move on. She here's joy trying to distract him and trying to keep him happy and doing all this stuff. And she's going in the complete wrong direction and sadness just sits down with him, lets him be sad for a minute. He's able to get that through that catharsis. And then he's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go this way. And that's Mm -hmm. that first moment that joy sees that. And then to see and to have him sacrifice himself, that's when she kind of fully comes around. And now she has to seek out sadness and be like, you're important. We need to go. It was yep. such a great moment. Yep. It really was. It really was a great moment. Yeah. And sad. <laughs> Sadness just, you know, getting dragged around, you know, and touching all the things. Like, that's so relatable because mm-hmm. sometimes just like, have you, like, you've done that. Like, you've walked, like, you know, next to hedges and just kind of had to touch everything oh, yeah. or just down an aisle and like, oh, no, I need, I need to touch all the soup, yep. you know? And, uh, it's just like, and it makes sadness relatable. Oh yeah, because uh, like we all do that. Like if you're just kind of moving down something, you you just want to touch stuff, mm-hmm. and that's what she's doing. And you you kind of like, oh no, sadness. I get you though. Yeah, because yep. we need we need that. Yeah. Well, and then when Joy picks up the the one memory, and it's it's the one that got changed from a happy memory to a sad memory, and for her to then realize that the two of them coexisted, like the sadness didn't overwrite the joyful memory. 
but it gave more context to the memory and we got to see the whole thing with her sitting on the tree by herself and then her parents coming over and consoling her and being sad with her which then morphed into the rest of the team showing up and then the happy memory mm-hmm. and that was again joy getting to see that context and getting to realize that and that's that that's the maturity of riley and that's riley growing up and then after that what do we see we see all those memories that are multicolored now they're yellow yeah. and blue. They're red and green. Like all of that. I loved that. That was great. And then you notice and realize that the parents, all of their memories are, are now like that, that they're making. Um, but we didn't notice that before because it was kind of always like these background pieces and they were darkened. So uh-huh. it was kind of a cool reveal. I really, really enjoyed that. And to see that memory is evolve and change over time. Yeah, because as you have more context, um, they absolutely do evolve and change. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that it's all represented with colors too. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because, you know, oh no, that just that put a different color on that. You know, like we're coloring, like you're kind of filling it in, and it's becoming more vibrant. Even if the color isn't joy, like additional colors still make it more vibrant and more. Um, oh, yeah. It just completes the picture. Yeah, and the fact that as. As Riley is going through all of this and she loses the joy and sadness for a little while in herself into her long-term memory, her clothing starts to get more and more drab. When she moves to San Francisco, everything is dark and muted and there's no, there's very little like saturation in the color and that keeps getting more and more that way, the sadder and more lost she gets until the end when all that color can come back. So like, when she first gets to San Francisco, there is still a little bit of optimism there, like the slice of pizza. It, but but I noticed that where like more and more of the color drained out of the real world, as mm-hmm. more and more of the colorful islands of her personality were draining and falling away. And so yeah. then to have that all come back at the end, I just like it was a great use of color and lighting and just like these these subconscious tricks to to sort of get you into that right mood that that animators just do so well people like animated movies i i hate when i see you know oh animations for kids or it's just an animated movie like uh no that's way off um but but they there's something about animation because they can do so much more they can pour so much more yeah. into that yeah for sure oh no animated movies are not just for kids and they're and they're not even always necessarily like yes are you know are they great for kids yes mm-hmm. but like can you watch them like as an adult like with like no child in the room like absolutely and there's nothing wrong with that yeah i mean to after a certain like you you mentioned anybody five and older should see this that's about mm-hmm. that line anything aimed for under five-year-olds it's kind of tough for an adult to watch because it's just like it's not meant for the way we take in things Right. But once yeah, you get it's past... All, that's all sensory. It's not... Yeah, exactly. Once you get past that point, like, I love watching uh, and will watch episodes of Phineas and Ferb, as an example. That's sure. a show aimed at kids, but it, and it's all about imagination. But, like, it's genuinely well done and, and, and really mm-hmm. enjoyable to watch. So I can remember going to see um, the Powerpuff Girls movie when it came out. And I was, a, I was an adult. I was in my 20s when that came out. But I went and saw that in theater anyway. You know, might have looked a little weird at the time, but that's fine. I don't care. Like, I enjoyed it. It was good because that's a, you, another you one did. of those shows. Like, it was aimed at younger people, but I still enjoyed what they were doing. 
Yeah, for sure. And Pixar is like the, there's just something in the way Pixar makes a movie that becomes relatable to anybody of any age uh, at any point in your life. And it's usually going to hit you with, uh, with something that you're not expecting. Like, have you seen Up? Is that one that you've seen? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen Up. I was not prepared for Up the first time I saw it at all. Oh, no, the first 15 minutes of Up just, like, kills you. Like, there are, that, that, the first 15 minutes of Up is up there with the Futurama episode Jurassic Bark. Don't even, like, I can't, I can't Mm -hmm. do it. And, and that's, that, that is so powerful. And Pixar just does, like, the opening of WALL-E is so brilliant. And there's no Mm -hmm. dialogue. Zero spoken word other than, uh, the the voiceover and the voiceover the hologram of um, what's his name like that's it, but it's so brilliantly done and this was another one of those movies where the first time I saw it and and even still now I still get hit with the gut punches of stuff like Bing Bong but it's like it's so well done and you just you get something out of it that you're not prepared for at the start of the movie mm-hmm. yeah and that to me is really powerful and that's why I think Pixar is is so good at what they do. Because they they can do that consistently. That's mm-hmm. not easy. It's not easy to do that once or twice. To do it, they got like a ninety percent success rate of hitting the mark on these movies. Yeah, they're gonna get you with something somewhere that you're gonna that you're gonna feel something that you didn't know that you were gonna feel watching a quote end quote <laughs> kids movie. Right, exactly that. And they're gonna make you laugh too. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're gonna have some just brilliant jokes. You know, I. Uh, I like to capture audio from the movies, and I got a couple of uh, of good like anger moments because uh, it's Lewis Black. When you when you let him do of his course. thing, uh, you do. And I got to play a couple of these. Um, the fact that you got Lewis Black in a PG movie, by the way, which this is one of the few Pixar movies that gets PG and not just a G rating, uh, but you get Lewis Black in there, and to his credit, he doesn't have to swear. Even though it is Lewis Black and you kind of like, I expect it just because of how much of his stuff I've listened to. Um, but it's sort of like seeing uh, uh, Carlin on Shining Time Station back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah. This is so weird, right? God. Like, it's weird for, I, I just I just watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not, the HBO documentary on George Carlin. No, not yet. No. If you, you should watch it. It's I, I will. really, I will. really good. But one of the things in there was one of the people they interviewed was like, that's how I knew George Carlin was as Mr. Conductor. Like that was his introduction to him. And I'm like, that's oh, so. I knew him. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird to me I to knew think him as of Rufus. Like, yeah. Rufus. Yeah. From Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so to have Lewis Black in this PG movie and, uh, and of course, he's going to bring up. Can I say that curse word now? It's <laughs> so good. So uh, good. He also had um, pizza, his thoughts on pizza. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, and now you. <laughs> that is like the quintessential Lewis Black delivery, too. That, that really uh-huh. loud, and then he, he ends it. And I can see him like pointing his finger like he does. Um, yep. And then, you know, calling a San Fran stink town, I think was really funny, too. San Fran stink town. <laughs> Just made me laugh. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I mean that's just such a kid way to like gripe about stuff. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, so 
the the first time so we're 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 inside Riley's head throughout the whole movie, but then the first time they go into the mom's head and then you see everything going on and they like signal the dad, you know, signal him. And so she looks over and kind of, kind of does the the head tilt and then we go into the dad's brain and he's just watching football or hockey. Uh-huh. Um was brilliant and I loved that, but after that whole scene plays out, the the end of it between the two brains is such a great moment where it's good job gentlemen that could have been a disaster well that was a disaster <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah that well, was great once again it's one of those relatable moments where you're just like yep 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 i get it same um, event two completely different perspectives <laughs> yep and and i love how you know it's we're, we're gonna put the foot down and like they're getting out the keys to turn it like going to defcon to all that stuff is so so well done meanwhile in the mom's brain everything's very laid back and then they're just gonna have the memory of the brazilian helicopter pilot because (laughs) and then to use that same memory for somebody else at the end of the movie was was even like better to have that exact same brazilian helicopter pilot (laughs) that made me laugh like oh no there he is again i yeah i think i said that out loud i was like oh no there he is again (laughs) um this guy (laughs) I loved when when Sadness asks Bing Bong what he's supposed to be, because his reaction is perfect. What exactly are you supposed to be? You know it's unclear. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't even know. <laughs> you know, it's unclear. I'm mostly made out of cotton candy. Um, sad, okay, Sad. this was the one line I got from Sadness, but I mean, come on. Crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. <laughs> like, oh, Pixar, <laughs> come on. Hitting yeah, a little close to the mark I mean, with that one. Very close to the mark. I mean, sometimes like sometimes you just do need to sit down and have a good cry mm-hmm. and think about the weight of, the, of life's problems. And I have a problem where if, uh, if a movie uses either a no or a fake laugh, like somebody obviously laughing that's putting on a fake laugh i have to capture it so i got fear no <laughs> and now i have that on a soundboard i can use anytime excellent and, and then the movie nerd in me i don't know if you caught the reference to chinatown or not or if you're familiar with that movie i am familiar with that movie but, but there's i didn't the, catch it yeah so it's it's towards the end of the movie as Joy is making her way back and she's chasing uh, the she's chasing sadness down. And it's the two cops are talking to the woman who's uh, the cloud. And they're like, so you're telling me that your husband was blown away by an elephant. And uh, then Joy runs right through her and the cloud dissipates. And the one cop says, hey, come back here. Forget it, Jake. It's cloud town. Forget it, Jake. It's Cloud Town. That's the final line of the movie Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Oh my god! And that's such a good because if unless you're familiar with that movie, that just flies over your head and it's just like a funny moment. But that's such a brilliant moment. And on top of that, you know who the the cop was? The voice of the cop that was um, like, "Hey, get back here!" That was Flea from the Red Hot oh, Chili god. Peppers. Yep. Well, Flea does voices and stuff. We actually just talked about that on my show not long ago. <laughs> Flea doing voices. They had another uh, another couple of voices we didn't mention earlier. It was Frank Oz and um, uh, who was the other one? Uh, David Goles and Frank Oz were the two guards outside of the subconscious. 
playing guards. Okay. Uh, Frank Oz played a guard I named kn- David. I knew that was Frank Oz. Yeah, Frank Oz played like, the guard named David, yeah. and David Goals played the guard named Frank. And they were doing the whole waiting for Godot hat thing. That yeah, was another yeah, one. I got and the I waiting like, for Godot bit, yeah. But I, I love that. So, like, I, I, I mean, look, Frank Oz pops up. He's got that voice, right? You're like, it's either Fozzie you Bear know. or Miss Piggy, but you know it. You know it's him. And so that was, yeah. So I love that, but I just love that China. Like, again, waiting for Godot, like, no kid's going to get that, but that's a great little thing to throw in there. And then a Chinatown reference in a movie like this is out of nowhere. Uh, So I just love stuff like that. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and finally, this is the the last one I want to play. And it's, uh, I just got a kick out of this, especially them being in San Francisco. It's a bear. There are no bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. That also made me laugh a lot. I got a big kick out of that for sure. I was like, no, there are bears in San Francisco. There definitely are. <clears throat> this is a movie absolutely seen. I'm really glad that you got to see it and and got to take that off your Maybe list too. of shame. Like, That's what I love doing with this show is helping people to see those movies that they feel like they should have seen. And for whatever reason, and who I mean, myriad different reasons why uh, you don't see something. But now you mm-hmm. now you can say you saw it and you can spread that to other people. I guess I can. I can spread the joy <laughs> and the sadness and the and the disgust and the fear. Yeah. <laughs> All of it. Um but it's it's All really it. it it is a movie that I do agree with you that people should see. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear dogs barking and I yes. always wonder, is that my house or the other person? <laughs> <laughs> In this case it's my house, and I'm not sure what's going on, but <sighs> But Lauren, thank you so much for being on this week. This was great. I'm glad that you got to see a movie and we, and, and it was a fun conversation. I like breaking down stuff like this because, like you said, there are layers to this movie. There's more that we could go into, I'm sure, um, yeah. with a movie like this. Yeah, for sure. I, thank you again for having me. And I feel like this is one of those movies that needs to be, if it's not already, I'm sure some like enterprising college instructor has done so already, but I really want this broken down at like a psych class or something. Um, I, I would love to do, like a whole course about inside out, you yeah. know, I, I, some kids somewhere, you know, at some point is going to love that. Oh yeah. And, uh, Amy in the chat room did mention that child psychologists do use the toys from this movie to help kids kind of explain what they're feeling. And it makes perfect sense. Nice. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that. I, I, I just adore this movie. I adore, I have yet to see a Pixar movie. I didn't like some of them. I like more than others, but it's hard to not like one of their movies. And but this agreed like this for me, I put this really high on that list. Like I put it up there with Wally um, for me is one of their best um, this movie. And uh, I really, I really like cars myself. The first cars, there's something about the that first one. cars is good. Yeah. Yeah. There is something good about the first car. I mean, it's the, the first cars brings up a lot of questions about how things kind of work and all, all this that, and the other but yeah um yeah no cards is good up is good up is fantastic oh, up, up you is know amazing. uh wally yeah wally for sure i mean they, they always do a good job they, they really do i think the only reason i wouldn't put up as high as something like this is just it i have to be in the right mood to make it through that beginning because i gotta i yeah. gotta get through that first 10 minutes to appreciate the rest of it and some days i just I, don't I, have that. i get that yeah, uh, you don't always have that. Now, one of my dogs is a Doberman, so I always get a big kick out of that part <laughs> and up when he's got the whole voice. And I was like, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's, I can see that happening, though. Yeah, that's that's great. But thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Now, you do a podcast called Beard Al. I do. Yes, um, I do the podcast Beard Al with my brother, John, and we talk about our two favorite things in the world, uh, beer and Weird Al Yankovic. And generally, on our regular episodes, what we do is we pair a uh, a craft beer with a Weird Al song, like one might pair a wine with a meal. Mm, you know, we try nice. and make a connection, and we just kind of have a conversation. But uh, on the my brother's on every other week, and then the week my brother's not on, I have guests on to talk about, you know, the Weird Al topic du jour. Right now, I'm pretty deep in doing what I'm calling my, uh, like, Weird Al album, like, ranked series, where I kind of rank the songs on the albums from my least favorite to my most favorite, and my guests are the same. And we go off of their rankings and, like, see where we, you know, Hmm. agree and disagree with, you know, kind of how we feel, like, what our favorites are. Now, this is not, none of the songs are bad. It's, like I said, it's least favorite to most favorite. It's not worst to best. Correct, because there is no bad Weird Al song. Um, there is no bad Weird Al song, no. I have I have made uh, contested for uh, probably twenty years now that if everyone would just listen to Weird Al just once a day, just just a song a day is all you need. The world would be a better place because you cannot. It's scientifically proven you can't be in a bad mood after you listen to a Weird Al song. You just can't. I one hundred percent agree. I absolutely agree. That's and that's why I do what I do because. I feel yeah. like more people. I'm a Weird Al evangelist, so I just feel like people need to listen to more Weird Al. Absolutely. You when when I found out about your show, I was like, "Wow, somebody who's a bigger fan of Weird Al than me." I didn't know if I could find <laughs> that, but you like your Weird Al knowledge well trumps mine. <laughs> and and I have uh, long often thought that I had like the biggest fandom I, that I knew, but no, I'm, I don't hold a candle to yours. But the weird, it's just I used to that same delivery job would get stressful and I'd have my iPod with me and I'd listen to like two Weird Al songs, take, you know, 10 minutes to do that and my day would instantly get better. Because he just... Yeah, it takes the edge off, yeah. He, he he has this way of looking at things and he has a humor that is universal and it's never punching down. No matter how much he makes fun of something, it's always punching up at it. It's always... It's never the low-hanging fruit. And right, Yeah. You know that that is a uh, a skill that you cultivate over time, uh, and he's definitely done that. And I'm, he has; he's very good at it. So good, and and it's great because like there are plenty of parodies he could have done over the years that he just didn't do because you know what? That, there's no there's nothing there to do. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the easy one. I'm going to instead take and do instead of all about the Benjamins, all about the Pentiums. You know, stuff like that. Like, and, and then his so original cool. songs. Albuquerque is oh, still yeah. one of my favorite songs ever. Oh, it's the best. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Between Albuquerque and Stuck in the Drive Through, those oh, are two of yeah, the longest yeah. songs that just. His oeuvre. <laughs> it's just. It's amazing to, to write songs like that. Um, yeah. Oh, then yeah. You got to put Genius in France in that category. Jackson Park Express. He's got yes. these long opuses that are just like the man is an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what her problem is. Oh, he's just going crazy town. It's know. all right. Doggo's got a doggo. It's not like her. So I'll have to go see what's going on. But um, thank you so much for being here this week, Lauren. This is this has been great. Thanks we'll have to do it again. Uh, we'll find another movie. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll find something. We can't do UHF because I've already done that, and I love UHF. I've seen it a ton of times. I've seen it. 
maybe once or twice. Behind me. <laughs> but we'll have to find another one. Have you back on because uh, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I've got I've got huge gaps in what I've seen. So we'll find something. We all do. We all do. I have gaps and stuff that I. Uh, it, it's just it's just what happens. But thank you so much. Where can people find the Beard Owl podcast? Just Beard Beard Owl, um, spelled like beer, right? B e b e e r d. Yep. Yep. It's beer like beer like the drink. B e e r d owl podcast.com um you can find all of our stuff there and we're at beard all podcast on twitter instagram and facebook excellent well thank you so much and uh coming up next week um i am talking with emily edwards and we're going to talk about the muppet movie she's never seen it and i can't wait because muppets i love muppets so i get to go from pixar to the muppet movie i'm how great of a job do i have you're you know? blessed. <laughs> I really am. Uh, if you enjoy this show and you want to hang out um, when we're, when I record it live and be in the chat room, please do so. It's uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash Travis. And uh, the show comes out on Wednesdays anywhere you get podcasts or tvstravis.com uh, because I gave it a terrible name and it's kind of hard to search for sometimes. Uh, I put punctuation in there and I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking SEO when I named the show. So uh, tvstravis.com is the quickest way to find and subscribe. Um, and you can support the show via coffee. Uh, buy me a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash tvstravis. So come on back next week for the Muppet movie with Emily Edwards. I, I can't Ooh. wait for that. Uh, so thank you once again, uh, Lauren, for being here. And um, as I like to say every week, enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other because, boy, do we need that. This is about what you haven't seen. the entire Gersword Library. This new console is done. Sorry, I did it again. My bad. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>